So the the uh, service is a little bit short today, and I had a extremely long thing that I wanted to work through, but I couldn't get it under an hour. So <laughs> so I threw away like three quarters of it. But the first two parts that I threw away, I thought were still important, and I still wanted to give you something. So I did what anyone would do, and I made it into a short little poem. Um, so slide. So these were the three parts that I originally broke it up into. We're only going to focus on this third part today. And I had a little technical difficulties with the slideshows. That's why they look. Anyway, so here's the first two parts, condensed, super condensed into a poem that you probably won't understand. But hey, and also, next slide, this, this weird image over here was like all of the images I was going to use in the first two parts, and I just made them into one big casserole. So here we go. Which seeds will take, and how can they grow? What future is pulling this mustard seed? Seeds were seeds of writing. Grain receipts from Sumer, older than Father Abraham. Today's scribes publish oceans daily. Bless you. Alphabetacy was a seed of Christianity, Trained beside Ramses the Great, Moses knew all their scripts. Today's laws stack higher than neighborhoods. Those letters, though, to approximate spirit in matter, magic, portals, communication with the departed, order and patriarchy and monotheism. Moses was an orphan, and Nazareth ridiculed Jesus. Who was his father anyway? Choose your degree of daddy issue. The sins of the father passed on in his image, body, and spirit. But don't torch original innocence as mustard trees for a few branches of original sin. Before Jesus showed Paul and Paul told the Romans that proper worship is self-sacrifice, Abraham held up his, this sacred deal. Do you have a better strategy for beating death? Children are living messages sent into a future we will not see. Pick your heroes wisely and keep your covenant, and your seed can beat old death. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The future is brighter than today. We are pulled into our tomorrows by divine order. That order that pulls mustard trees from seeds impossibly smaller also keeps holy plans integrated with human free will. Closer to both and than either or. Father's will expressed in his free children. Praise be to the Father. So that didn't make a lot of sense, but it's all there. Don't worry. So part three now, we're going to move into the knowing. Um, so yeah, Jesus spoke in parables to those that could hear him. Uh, but to his disciples, he, he laid it out straight. Um, it wasn't in parables. And so this is pretty interesting to me because it seems that important knowledge may or may not come your way because of who you hang out with. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 34 that we just read seems to be one of the verifications that the Bible is so much more than an outdated history book. It, there are parables in there, parables within parables. 
it seems that a verse it seems to be a verse that suggests an, the intellectual depth available in the Christian tradition. But next slide, please. With that in mind, I was curious if anybody uses YouTube. Maybe you've used it to help you with some project, to learn something, a do-it-yourself repair, do-it-yourself maintenance. Maybe you made something. Use it to find news, ideas, fashion. Anybody? Yeah? Anybody not use YouTube? <laughs> well, it is, it, is a, it is an amazing communication and learning medium. Um, if you need to fix anything on your car, if you type it into YouTube, you can figure it out. They will show you step by step. Um, but one of my favorite things to find on YouTube is philosophy. Um, and I've totally geeked out on at least three YouTube philosophers in my day. And there's a lot of, as with anything, there's a ton of garbage out there. But you do find some good stuff. And YouTube is, has a lot of good philosophy in there. But here is an amazing seed that I found in my first two parts. I had a lot of seeds that I was throwing out. But here's an amazing seed I had, I've found on YouTube. And it's this, one of the most important decisions we make in life is deciding which parents to have. Now, when I came across that the first time, I didn't really, I didn't sink in fully, but I think it means this, and truly one of the most important decisions we make in life is deciding what we're going to grow into. Um, grass tends to grow where it gets watered. So to whom, what are you going to water? To whom should you give your attention and time? Who and what would you like to become? But YouTube philosophy. My favorite current YouTube philosopher, I'm in this phase where I'm studying Jordan B. Peterson. Uh, this guy is a Canadian. He's a professor and clinical, practicing clinical psychologist. He left Harvard in 1998, and he's been at the University of Toronto since. Uh, he has a YouTube series uh, entitled, bless you, the Psychological Significance of the Bible Stories, which is so worth the time. Uh, if you have any, uh, any inkling, go check this out. I'm going to be reading from some of those today, uh, some of his lectures on Father Abraham. Um, but uh, let's see, where was I? He is perhaps, Jordan Peterson is pre perhaps most popular for telling people to Clean your room. Um, big time psychologist, and he likes to tell people, go home and clean your room. His, he suggests that it's become far too cliche to find, you know, a 25-year-old uh, inspired young intellectual, probably some type of graduate student or something, and they claim to have solved the world's economic and socio-political troubles but, on the other hand, they can't keep their room clean. So Peterson's advice, not just to graduate students, but to everyone, is before you criticize the world, go home and put your house in perfect order. And here are a few excerpts from his lectures on Father Abraham. He says, I was thinking about this idea of cleaning up your room in relation to the mustard seed idea. And you see, the thing about cleaning up your room 
And this is also something I learned from Carl Jung and his studies on alchemy. And I'll pause just a second. Carl Jung, alchemy. Do Carl Jung was a student of Freud. And if you've ever taken a personality test, you've probably taken a Jungian personality test. He has a few, uh, his idea of the archetypes, basically human society has hierarchy in it. And since the beginning of time, we come into the come into contact with these characters in our life. Everybody falls into these characters. That's how he divides them out into personality types. You run into the hero. You run into the wise old man. You run into the nurturing mother. These are all these are all symbols that you come into contact with your life. Everybody comes comes into contact with these people that play these roles in our life. Um, and so he felt our personalities were developed from that. He also studied alchemy, which is basically, uh, we'll say 1000 AD, there was no science yet. Basically, the people who were trying to figure out science um, or on the path of what became science were alchemists. A lot of them were alchemists. They, their main goal um, was to try and turn lead into gold. Um, that's what they were trying to do in 1000 AD. But there was this whole thing of if you try and turn lead into gold, you're also trying to turn your heart into enlightenment. You know, you are presented with this, we're born into the flesh and you're trying to reach the spirit. So, back to that. One, something I learned from Carl Jung in his studies on alchemy, because for Jung, when the alchemist was attempting to make the philosopher's stone, he was not only engaged in the transformation of the material world, but he was engaged in the process of self-transformation that occurred at the same time as the chemical transformation. So it was a psychological work in some sense. So let's say you want to sort out your room and beautify it because the beauty is also important. And let's say that all you have is just a little room. It's not like you're rich, you're poor and you don't have, you don't have any power. That's another thing, but you've got your darn room and you've got this space right in front of you, you know, and that's a part of the cosmos that you can come to grips with. And you might think, well, what is it that I have right here in front of me? And the answer is, the answer to that is, what you have right in front of you depends on how open your eyes are. For example, William Blake said this, and Aldous Huxley made comments that were very similar, that in a transcendent state, you can see the infinite in the finite. You might say, you can see infinity in what you have within your grasp, if you look. And you could say, maybe that's the case with your room. And so you want to clean up your room. Well, okay, how do you do that exactly? Well, a room is a place to sleep. And if you set up your room properly, then you figure out how to sleep and when you should sleep. And when you figure out when you should wake up, and then you figure out what clothes you should wear because they have to be arranged properly in your dresser and you have to have some place to put your clothes and if you're going to ha have clothes then you're going to have to figure out what you're going to wear those clothes to do and that means you're going to have to figure out what it is you're going to do and then your room has to serve that purpose because otherwise the room isn't set up properly and if it doesn't serve your purpose you will be unhappy and not happy in the room because the way we perceive the world is a place to move from point A to point B. And if the place we are in facilitates that movement, then we are happy to be there. And if the place we are in serves as an obstacle to that movement, then we are unhappy to be there. 
And so this is what it means to set up your room. And so to sort yourself out and fix up your room is a non-trivial matter. And you'll learn by doing that, and maybe you'll learn enough by doing that so that you can fix up your family a little bit. And then by having done that, you'll have enough character so that when you try and operate in the world at your job or maybe in the broader social spheres, that you'll be a force for good instead of a force for harm. Because you'll have learned some humility by noting just how difficult it was to put your darn room together, and then yourself, for that matter. And so you'll proceed cautiously with your eyes open toward the goal, towards the goal, which is very relevant to the... Oh, sorry, I missed a couple slides here. Let's do, yeah, another one. And finally. Okay, so we have Carl Jung here. Jordan Peterson likes Carl Jung. Carl Jung studied the alchemists. And this is very relevant to the Abraham story because God comes to Abraham and essentially just says, go. Just go. Get out there. Get going, man. Do something. Get out in the world and do something. And you might think, where should I go? What should I do? And God is somewhat vague about that. And where he sends Abraham is a real fixer-upper. It's no picnic for Abraham. But that's the world, right? It's tyranny and it's vulnerability and it's deceit. It's just like where you live. And God says, go. Because if you do go, you'll become the father of nations. And Abraham never gets there. And his mission is still considered divine. And thank God for that because that's what your mission will be. Because that's what you will encounter in your life. Those are the archetypal things everyone encounters. The tyranny of the social structure. The rapaciousness of nature. The deceitful quality of human nature. It's like, that's the world. And that's a negative view in some sense. But it's also a positive in the story because... What it basically says is something akin to the Sermon on the Mount, which is that if you are aligned with God, bless you, and you pay attention to the divine injunction, then you can operate in the midst of chaos and tyranny and deception and still flourish. And you could hardly hope to have a better piece of news than that, because that's exactly where you are. And Abraham is not a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination. He's a real person. And he makes mistakes, but it doesn't matter. The overarching narrative is maintain your covenant with God, and despite your inadequacies, not only will you prevail, but your descendants will prevail. So what is your covenant with God? Well, what is God? And let's, let's not get lost in the details here. We could argue forever about what God might or might not be, but we could at least say that the concept of God is an embodiment of humanity's highest ideal. We can at least agree on that. And so you make a contract with that ideal. That's the idea that emerges in the Abraham stories, is that there is a sacred contract. And God tells him to go forward into the world, and he does that, and he encounters famine, and he encounters tyranny, and he encounters powerful people who want to take from him what is his. God sends him out into the world, but it's not like he has an easy ride of it. It isn't easy at all. It's hard as can be. But there's this consistent emphasis in the text, and I think it is something really worth attending to, and that is, if you maintain your contract, and this has to do with honesty and with trust and with truth and with all those things, if you maintain your contract, then you have the best possible possibility of making your way through the catastrophes and the chaos. And I don't want to be naive about this. When I read Young, 
and I started to understand the concept of the hero archetype, the idea that the human being is a force, a, a logos force that can stand up against chaos and catastrophe and tragedy and evil and still prevail. I never did think that if you did stand up and tell the truth that you would necessarily prevail. It's not a magic trick. It's your best bet. That's the thing. You don't have a better option. And that idea is emerging in the Abraham text. This is what those people were figuring out. And speaking purely secularly, I do believe that that is what manifests through these biblical stories. It's the dawning enlightenment of mankind, something like that, as we started to understand the principles by which we have to live by in order to orient ourselves properly in the world. So we sacrifice our energies to the highest ideal we can imagine. We work to keep our covenant with the highest ideal we can imagine. So that was all Jordan Peterson. It, this guy is worth checking out, humble opinion. But we keep our covenant with the highest ideal we can imagine. We make a contract with the highest ideal we can imagine. So it's Father's Day. It's a good time to, question, to ask, what is the highest ideal we can imagine? Slide, please. So a teacher is um, at the front of her, I guess it was first grade class. It will be first grade class here. Teacher is asking her first grade students what they want to be when they grow up. Sarah says, I want to take care of people at the hospital, just like my mommy. The teacher says, oh, you will make such a good doctor, Sarah. You have such a tender heart. How about you, Francis? What do you want to be? I want to be a farmer, just like my dad. Oh, Francis, you're such a good hard worker. You'll be a great farmer. Little Johnny, what would you like to be when you grow up? I want to be the CEO of a multi-billion dollar tech company, just like my father. Wow, that's wonderful. I didn't know your father was the CEO of a tech company. Oh, he's not, but he wants to be one too. So I was, I was over at my brother's house a weekend or two ago playing with my little nephew. He's almost two now. Um, yeah. And I say playing, but for the longest time, we weren't even really playing. You see, my brother, now known as Dada, was outside mowing the yard. And so we were just kind of standing at the window for a good 10 or 20 minutes. And we just stood there and we just watched. And uh, I watched the toddler and the toddler watched Dada. And he pointed and he said things like, my Dada and Daddy and good job, Dada. And it was, um, it was a pretty amazing moment for me. Um, so thinking of Carl Jung, our hero worship starts pretty early in our life. And that, that was kind of his big contribution is that the human story is a story of, of the hero and we imitate heroes. And um, perhaps, and human beings are social animals, we're wildly social creatures. And perhaps our most one of our most significant abilities is our ability to imitate. We imitate heroic patterns. That's why there's an Abraham story. That's why they kept the story and told it over and over and over for thousands of years. And that's why we t we've been telling the Jesus story for thousands of years. 
When we say Jesus Christ is the king of kings, it's really kind of literal. Of all the kings and all the heroes that we've documented, pick this one. If you have to pick one, pick this one to imitate. This is the king of all the kings. Abraham, Moses, Jesus, these are heroes that we're supposed to imitate. So imitate them. Make a contract with the highest ideal, the best thing you think you could be. Sacrifice to your highest ideal. Make sacrifices to it. Sacrifice your time and effort at working towards that ideal. Even when it may seem silly and or hopeless, keep the covenant. Slide. And it is that imitating heroes that's the key. Whether you know it or not, you are imitating heroes every day. That's in, what's important might be that first, you are aware that you're imitating heroes. And second, the second most important thing might be pick the right heroes to imitate. But before we're old enough to start imagining the highest ideal or the king of kings, these super abstract concepts, before we're mature enough to imagine our ideal selves in years before deliberately sacrificing to become our ideal self and before we start trying to consciously imitate divine heroes, probably before we know what selves and or heroes are, we begin by imitating those around us. And at the foundation of all our imitating are the original heroes, our parents. And today we celebrate the orderly, masculine half of our mustard tree. So praise God for all the seeds and all our seeds and all our fathers. And finally, to finish up, in the spirit of our father knowing exactly what we want and need before we ever ask, I'll offer this prayer. Jehovah, our father in heaven, holy is your space, holy is your name. Thank you for using us to build your kingdom as it is already built in our heaven. Thank you for using us to do your will as it is already done in heaven. Thank you for tending to our earthly needs. Thank you for forgiving us as much as we are willing to forgive others and then some. Thank you for delivering us from temptation and from evil. Jehovah, you are the kingdom, you are the power, and you are the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.